Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Satinsky. Thank you for joining me. It's so nice to have a live audience. I, um, I do appreciate everyone that listens, and I very much appreciate the feedback and the letters, angry letters, happy letters. I do love it. We're going to be going through some of those today on the show. Um, I just want to tell you where we are in the world. It is March 6th. Forum is a week away and a couple of days. And um, it's very exciting to be in Israel as Purim approaches. Everything just kind of screams Purim. You hear it, you hear the music, and you see decorations everywhere. And whether you are old or young or have children involved, you feel like a kid. It just it just does that to you. I love it. Um, I went last week to the south of Israel, visited Park Timna with my husband. Any of you who have gone to Eilat probably passed this on the way down. What you see is on the right side of the road, these large Egyptian statues. And uh, you they, they look a little weird. So you just keep going. But if you drive in, what you find is unbelievable. These huge uh, um, natural rock formations is what they are in different shapes and different colors. And um, I think it's azure, the, the like maroon red, and you, and you see these different colors. And you could tell this was all underwater at one point. You can see the different colored sand, the different colored pebbles. And um, there's a lake there and there's camping and there's tents that you can even rent with beds in them and cabins and uh, a whole visitor center and really, really laid out just beautifully. and right here in our own little Israel. Um, why go to a lot when you could just stay there? So we stayed there for two nights and hiked, uh, went to a lot for dinner. It's so close, 15 minutes, you can go to a lot for dinner. So it was an awesome experience. I highly recommend it. And we're going to be speaking to a ranger who uh, is, I believe, the only ranger in Israel. And he works there. And we're bringing him on the show. And he'll tell us all about life down there and how that... Uh, how that has become popular. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages and don't go away. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. Joining us today, I was just telling you about the beautiful Park Timna in the south of Israel. And there is a ranger. His name is Ron Berenstein. He goes by Ranger Ron. And he actually works there. 
Um, and I think he's the only ranger in all of Israel. I'll just give you a little background. He is American, moved to Israel in 1977 at the age of 23, single, from Long Island, New York, a reformed Jew, and uh, was one of, he came here not alone, he came with a group, this is called a Garin, when you come as a group to, to kind of like start a new community. Well, he started a kibbutz called Yahel, and it, on the way down to Eilat, you see this kibbutz, I think it's on your left, high up on a mountain, but he can correct me if I'm wrong. There are a bunch of kibbutzim down there. You kind of pass them one after the other before you get to Eilat. And I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Ron. Welcome. Thank you. Did I get that right about the kibbutz, Yahel? Uh, the name you got right, but it's on, when you go down to Eilat, it's on the right side of the road. Okay. It's, I guess after Timna or before Timna? Before Timna. It's about 25 minutes north of Timna oh. and uh, about 45 minutes north of Eilat. Wow. So it's a, it's a high sailor. Besetter. Okay. Tell us your Aliyah story. You, you came in 1977, a regular American Jewish, 23-year-old, you know, who would move to Israel then? And um, tell me what, what prompted that. Well, the first time I moved, to, I went to Israel. I was uh, 16 years old in 1971, not knowing much about Israel, but my father took a sabbatical that year and took us all over and lived in Jerusalem. And I went to study at an agricultural high school near Haifa, my 11th grade. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, that year was very eye-opening. I was with 100% of the time with Israeli youth, 11th grade, a uh, couple years after the Six-Day War and two years before the Yom Kippur War, a very special time uh, in Israel. Uh, after that year, I returned to uh, to the States, finished 12th grade, and couldn't wait to get back to Israel. Uh, and before starting university, I volunteered on a kibbutz near Jerusalem, Kiryat Anavim, worked in... Uh, the cotton fields, learned how to drive a tractor, and uh, my father actually had to come to Israel to take me back to start my first year of university at Albany in 1973. Uh, after that, that first year, I well, went why, back why to did Israel. He have to come, Ron, why, mm -hmm. why did he have to come get you? Because I wanted to stay in Israel. I wanted <laughs> to uh, uh, to live on the kibbutz, and uh, I really liked it, and uh, I was young and had a great time. And, I get it. I get but, it. Um, uh, my father actually flew in, convinced me to come back. I had already been accepted to university. So that's what I did. This was not in uh, the fall of 1973. Uh, or a month after school started, the uh, Yom Kippur War began, and it was a very tumultuous time. Uh, I finished that first year in Albany and found a program of university in Israel, living on a kibbutz and studying at the Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem. I finished that year. During that time, the idea of a new kibbutz uh, started as a reformed Jewish kibbutz to be set up near where Kibbutz Yehel is today in the Arava, and I joined that group. I finished two years of university in the University of Delaware studying agriculture 
in a way, preparing for my future on kibbutz. And in 1977, I uh, made Aliyah and moved to Israel and haven't looked back since. Amazing. Wow, what a great story. The thing that stands out to me, if, if you don't mind me just kind of <laughs> um, pursuing this line a little bit, is that you were able to get a letter to your father in time for him to come and get you. Now, I know you were a month late and everything, but, you know, I know airmail back then, it took two weeks for a letter to arrive at best. And then for him to get a flight must have taken several days. You know, you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't, you know, Israel then was not like the Israel today. That's true. But, you know, I can tell you that uh, I, uh, I always say that uh, it's my parents' fault for oh. eventually me living in Israel. You know, my dad, he served in India in World War Two, And on the way back to the States, they... Uh, they uh, shipped through the Suez Canal, and a few of his friends jumped ship to go to Palestine at the time, and my dad, the last minute, decided, no, he'll stay on the boat and go back uh, to the States. Uh, so uh, uh, the first time he did go back to Israel was in 1971. We all was in the family, and uh, that's when I was first bit by the bug, you can say, but that's actually not, not a great way to say it. But uh, I, uh, uh, I opened my eyes to Israel in a different way, living with uh, youth uh, in uh, in Israel and twenty four seven living with the high school kids and learning about who they're all about and uh, you know, what Israelis are like. I liked it a lot, and I said, "That's it. I'm going. I'm going to eventually go back where I was to yeah. live." Uh, permanently, uh, I couldn't be sure, but I wanted to go back. And I did. Yeah. I, I worked for a half a year, Kibbutz Kirat Anavim in the cotton fields. Loved it. And you can say that that's when I decided to eventually live on Kibbutz and maybe even go into agriculture. And mm-hmm. after my study in Malik Hamishad, the Kibbutz, uh, the year I, I studied Hebrew in college, uh, that's when I knew I was uh, I was going to live on kibbutz, and uh, to prepare myself, I went to study agriculture. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's, where that's I am a today. great. That's you. You. You're very lucky that you uh, knew at such a young age what you wanted to do, and that you actually got to do it. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's really great. So tell us a little bit about. Kibbutz Yahel, what was that like? How many of you went there to start it? What was, what was it like well, then? Excuse me, I missed that. Uh, something was a little interruption. Oh, I'll ask you again. Tell us what it was like back then to start a kibbutz. What was it like down there? What was your life like? What was your daily life um, like? Do you remember? Well, um, Kibbutz Yahel started in... Uh, the idea of the kibbutz started in uh, 74, 75 by a number of reform rabbis who lived in Israel and also in the United States. And uh, their decision was to start a new entity, uh, kibbutz, uh, in the Arava. I mean, they could have decided in the north of the country or in the center of the country, a lot easier to uh, for 
uh, for people to go to, and uh, but they decided to go into the desert. Uh, fulfilling David Ben-Gurion's dream is to to, uh, to build a desert, to bring Israelis down there, to uh, utilize the uh, the intellectual capacity and uh, uh, of of Israelis, and uh, that's uh, where the kibbutz was uh, was placed uh, in this vast uh, wilderness. And at that yeah. time, in the seventies, it was still a wilderness, even though there were a number of kibbutzim there. But uh, I came there, and all there were a few uh, houses, like uh, Lego-built, Lego uh, pre, prefab units, and a few palm trees that were contributed from Kibbutz Yotvata, and uh, a generator for electricity, and a water tower for our, uh, for our drinking water. And mm -hmm. the first... Uh, uh, members of the kibbutz came there, or before I got there, it was started actually in in um, November of uh, 1976 when the, uh, the the kibbutz is actually uh, the, uh, the the there's a big uh, uh, reform movement all over the world, and a big uh, uh, the word escaped me now. Uh, okay. Okay. It started. I in any, any case, uh, it was uh, when the kibbutz. We say consider ourselves our birthday, November twenty second, I think, and the first members moved there in February of nineteen seventy seven. I got there in October of uh, nineteen seventy seven. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I got there, there was no grass, no trees. Uh, the sidewalks weren't yet put in. Uh, we're all very new. I get it. You're just like Israeli. really on the desert sand. I mean, dirt, right? Just dirt. Uh, you can say earth, dirt, yeah, soil. Earth. Okay, yeah. it was just <laughs> uh, actually, it was really hard desert cement where the kibbutz is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, we had to dig holes to put in our trees and bring sand in for grass. And uh, fortunately, the fields are on the other side of the the Nahalarava. Uh, where it's a good sandy soil, and we started our crop production. Now, you have to remember that the kibbutz movement and the reform movement took a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-olds, some who had already started in the army, part of the Nachal service. Uh, others, you know, the, the Israelis had, uh, had been to another kibbutz, Kfar Maccabi, for, as a, uh, uh, to learn about what life is like on kibbutz and how to set up the the uh, the makeup of the kibbutz, and then before moving to Yehel, actually physically, they lived at Kibbutz Yotzata, which is 15 minutes south of us. The veteran kibbutz established in 1957, and to learn more about what it is to set up a kibbutz. But still, All right, took a stop bunch there. Of stop 18, there. We're, we're taking a break. We'll be right back. Stop there. Okay. We'll, we'll be right okay. back. Hi, 
everyone. This is Andrea Semento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show, Pull Up a Chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. We're continuing our talk today with Ron Bernstein, who is known as Ranger Ron. We haven't even gotten to the part where he's a ranger. He's just telling us about starting the kibbutz, Kibbutz Yahel, in 1977. So let's let's move a little bit forward. You're telling us what it was like, um, you know, sand, and, you know, you all lived in these uh, prefab houses and a water tank. We get it. Um, let's fast forward to today. What has the kibbutz grown into? Well, today the kibbutz is uh, is uh, pretty multifaceted. Uh, we have we're still based on agriculture. Our date plantation is our uh, biggest uh, money maker. We have the largest date plantation in Israel. Uh, we also have uh, vegetables. We grow peppers, uh, cantaloupes. And a few other vegetables also. We have a big dairy, uh, milk production, a very big um, uh, uh, dairy, and we send our milk to Kibbutz Yotfata, which is known for its excellent uh, milk and chocolate milks and sour creams and such. Right. Uh, we're also, um, uh, much of our population here not really, do not really work in agriculture. Uh, some have their own professions, are lawyers and uh, doctors, uh, work in the accounting uh, and other businesses, not only on the kibbutz, but also work in a lot, work in the regional council. The regional council consists of the other 10 to 12 villages, kibbutzim in the area, teachers in the local school. Uh, one of the our major projects is alternative energy. Each of our uh, houses has uh, solar collectors, We'll also be building a solar field very soon, which is a big part of the uh, the desert now. Wherever you drive in the desert, you see huge solar fields providing electricity for the national grid. Uh, and we also have a number of other projects which are which are connected to alternative energy. We also have a bed and breakfast, a big tourist yeah, nice. uh, facility. I didn't hmm? know that. Nice. I, did, I had no idea. This is yeah, awesome. we have a, a very good bed and breakfast, uh, and uh, we have anybody who likes to ride bicycles, you know, uh, on the singles, mountain bikes, great mountain bike trails, great hiking trails. And it all actually is beginning to start from Kibbutz Yehel southward to the rest of the southern Arava. And so mm-hmm. on the Kibbutz, things are, are moving very well. There were times where it was more difficult. People were leaving for various reasons. But we made a number of changes on how we uh, run the kibbutz, uh, and, uh, which is a very democratically run uh, business. You can call a kibbutz today a business and a community, and you put okay. both so things together that, because of the I, kibbutz. Right. It used to be uh, a collective, and I was going right. to ask you: Is it privatized today? Do do people, you know, use money 
on the kibbutz. Yeah, they still, the kibbutz has been privatized do. for quite a few years now, uh, okay. but it works very well, even for the new people coming in. Uh, and it's the kibbutz has made lots of changes, uh, community-wise, and how we run ourselves. We each have our own our own homes now. Uh, we divide uh, profits if we have profits uh, on the kibbutz. Uh, and we also receive salaries according to where we work, differential salaries. Not like it used to be on the keyboards where everybody would get the same budget. These changes have been made, and it works very well on the keyboards. Uh, but even so, the keyboards still supports our, our members in every way, whether it be culturally, whether it be people are having some issues. Uh, the keyboards is set up such that there are support for any for everybody uh, on the keyboards. Uh, yeah, that's um, it, that's it works great. very well. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, tell me um, if you can just if you can, if you know how how big is it? How many people are there? How many families? Today we have about forty to fifty families. Um, almost all now are members of the keyboards, permanent members members of the business side of the kibbutz and the community side of the kibbutz. Uh, and um, we also have uh, a large amount of children. Actually, you can say that this is our third generation, you can say. I, uh, myself, I came here, I have, I have three children uh, and uh, three grandchildren. Uh, and uh, most of the original members also have uh, grandchildren, mm -hmm. uh, nice. and we have uh, some of our children, the first, you know, the first generation, are coming back and raising their families on the keyboards. That's what you want. And then have. we have many Good. new families coming in, young families coming in, and also raising them. Yeah, there was a time where many of our members left. We had very few children. Uh, we had to close some of our children's houses. It was very. It was a very. It was a big shock. I myself, my wife and I, we when we went to China about 19 years ago. We adopted a little girl uh, from China. She uh, was one of three children in the nursery school. And so wow, three our, kids. Our that daycare. is so sad. Oh, Why? That's sad. It's very. Uh, but but it's. I can tell yeah. you now that we've reopened our nursery schools. We're reopening our kindergarten, and now we're back to where we were. If once you walk through the sidewalks yeah. of Kibbutz Yehel, hearing children screaming and crying and playing on the playgrounds, it's come back in a very in a I bigger understand. way than it was before. So things great. are looking great on the keyboards. Very nice. Okay, so I will make a note um, that bed and breakfast. You'll have to tell me what it's called. I didn't know about it. Because, you know, when people go to Eilat, they, they think you just have to stay in Eilat. But look at these, you know, choices you have on the way. I was just, I learned about Park Timna. Now you're telling me about Kibbutz Yahel. I think Kibbutz Yavata also has a little hotel. So this is really there great to know. All of, not... the, all of the kibbutzim in the Arava region, in the southern Arava region, have either bed and breakfast or hotel-type facilities. And, you know, Yahel is part of a major... Uh, move in tourism in the southern Arava. And Park Timna is the jewel in the crown of our tourist uh, um, program Industry. business in that the southern right. Arava. All right, so let's get into that a little bit, because I just experienced that for the first time. And wow, 
um, awesome. I actually sent pictures to a friend of mine who lives in Salt Lake City, and she said it looks just like the parks here. These are well, beautiful. Every every um, well, American. There was not many Americans are coming in now. Foreigners are coming into Israel now, but every uh, visitor. And also many Israelis who have been to the national parks in the USA saying that Park Timna reminds them of the parks in the USA. And right. uh, that's our goal. You're talking parks, yeah, you're talking like the, the, the West, the yeah. um, Nevada, not, not the East at all. But yeah, these big, big rock formations, different colors, beautiful. Um, and you you light them up at night, and there's a bike path. You rent bikes, um, and there are marked paths, and it's just they're challenging, and um, and the, and then the whole setup of the park itself with the lake in the middle and the boats and the yeah. the tents with these fancy beds. And there's an air conditioner in these tents. There's a refrigerator in these tents. A microwave oven. They have wooden floors. This is not a tent. This is a hotel. It's like a hotel room with, it's just unbelievable. Uh, they have bathrooms, they have showers, separate, but very, very nice and clean. They have a, they have a cafe. Um, they have like um, a place where you can do barbecues right outside your room. And, and you like all this shade, all this beautiful shade, all like set up for you, set up for families and, and a little bit semi-private. It's just, it's really well done. Very well done. I mean, I couldn't have designed it better myself. It's almost like a little dream, you know? You're like, if you want something like that in the desert, you want a place that's that's uh, with shade and, and natural, that's that's what you've done. That's what they've done. Yeah, well, that's, really uh, that's uh, Tim the Park, is that yeah. it's uh, a combination of hundreds of millions of years of geological activity, which has formed... The mountains, the color in the mountains, the shapes yeah. that you find, Solomon's pillars yeah. and the mushrooms, yeah. but also, and this is a really important part of it, is that it has a history of, uh, of uh, human activity uh, because 6,000 years ago, people came through, whether it be uh, tribes uh, and, and actual uh, empires that came through, found these little green rocks. And uh, at first, they didn't know what to do with these beautiful stones that they found. But then they realized that it's possible to remove that mineral from the rock, and it turns into a metal. And we're talking about the mineral copper. And um, for the thousands of years, humans came through, figured out how to remove the copper, and, and every, all, all the time improving the way it was done and eventually turning the soft metal copper into a hard metal bronze. We're talking about going from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age. And this is a big, uh, big change in uh, the human activity, being able to use metal weapons and tools, uh, which before that they are only using stone. And the, uh, it's an incredible story how the... Uh, uh, humans were able to turn, people would probably call them magicians at the time. Anybody who could turn a stone into a metal is a magician. Today, the archaeologists call them high-tech people. Right. They were using chemistry, physics, and engineering, building an oven to get to 1,200 degrees centigrade, where a regular fire is maybe 400 degrees centigrade. That's a, that's a, a, a big advance, and they were able to yeah. do it. 
and then changing the soft copper into bronze, they had to add tin. How they do it? Right, How they know it? Where they get the tin from? Gonna, uh, copper to uh, and tin us. is bronze. Stay with us, Ron. Stay with us, Ron. We'll be right back. Okay. Shalom, I'm Leah Haroni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah, every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sipinski. We're going to finish up our talk with Ranger Ron. Um, Ron was just telling us a story of how he, uh, well, he'll, he'll tell us the story himself. But first, before we get into that Pomelo story, Ron, can you tell us, um, you, you're known as Ranger Ron. And my husband actually met you uh, when he was in Park Timna for the first time a couple of months ago. Can you tell me what you do today, how you became a ranger, and uh some uh, stories. Okay, um, you know, the ranger in Israel is not really a ranger, per se, as we know in, in the U.S. There are the, the national parks, they have their inspectors and go around and make sure everything's okay and explain and things like that. Uh, but I took the, uh, this uh, job as ranger and developed the ranger into similar to what rangers do in the U.S., uh, whether it be at uh, meet the meet and greet the visitors coming in to the park, tell them uh, how to travel, how to enjoy the park, what to see, what to do, how to behave in the park. Uh, and because we are a nature reserve. Uh, number two, I also take tours. I take out tours, uh, sunset tours, uh, lantern tours, and uh, and uh, with a sunset tour, uh, taking on a, a very nice uh, trail. And watching the sun set uh, in the west as the Red Mountains in Jordan turned a very beautiful, deep crimson red. Just an incredible sight. And every sunset mm-hmm. is different from the sunset before. And then I also, my, I think my most important job is I protect nature. Protect the, the mountains, protect the animals living uh, in the park and the vegetation and uh, the the uh, the archaeology, the history, mm-hmm. protect the history, which is an incredible history, as I mentioned about the copper. So that's my main uh, my main uh, job in the park. But I also uh, sometimes people get lost, and it's happened a few times. I've had to go out and uh, and uh, look for people. Who, they told me where they are, and since I know the trails very well, and set up the trails. I understood exactly where they were, told them to either come back the way they came and I'll meet them in the middle or just wait and I'll come and, uh, and pick them up. And it's happened a number of times. Really? And, uh, you get lost? Yeah, I guess but a lot of my, uh, a lot of the things I like to do is uh, I talk to people. And uh, I've had, 
I've had a number of uh, uh, wonderful experiences talking to people, and uh, and uh, I've had a, a little girl who uh, was very excited about about uh, walking in the park, but she said, you know, she has very uh, serious asthma. What can she do? And this and that. I said, you can do anything you want. And when I did that, she started running and jumping, and her parents could, couldn't believe it. And mm-hmm. it just was an incredible moment to see how this this girl who uh, just transformed into something different because, you know what, maybe because of Ranger Ron. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, every every uh, child who goes on a tour with me receives a little medallion, a copper medallion. Oh, nice. And I give it to them and say, then, now your job is every time you come to Park Timna, you help me protect nature. And from this moment on, you are assistant Ranger Ron. And the kids are just excited. They and, love it, for and, sure. And uh, they've come back and they say, hey, Ranger Ron, remember this? And it's just an incredible feeling to be able to nice. uh, have such a, a, um, a big influence on how these children look now at nature. So, so that's I want to ask you when when you say you take groups, you take you, you take them on foot, right? They follow you. You're you're leading the pack through yeah, those. Exactly. Oh, okay. I uh, um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to be in pretty good shape. I guess you're in pretty good shape. Um, what do you advise for hikers regarding water, regarding food, regarding fire? Um, I was there. I did not see any trash. It was extremely clean, and it's, it's always nice to see that. Um, what you know, you usually see are water bottles, you know, and uh, papers. And I didn't see any of that. What What well, do you? How, how do you enforce it? How do you keep it clean? How How much water well, should people be taking? And what can you uh, tell us about that? Well, one of the big differences with uh, Park Timna because it's not a national park per se, like all the other parks. It's uh, run by the regional council, and we uh, try to run ourselves like a national park in the U.S., and uh, there are certain things you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Uh, we don't allow picnics anywhere just to set up a, a, uh, a barbecue or to spread a picnic out in the middle of, uh, of the park. Uh, first of all, uh, any... Uh, any food left over, it can be dangerous for animals. So we try to prevent any of that. Uh, you know, anywhere they want, uh, people want to go. So either at the entrance to the park or at the lake where you're talking about the the uh, lodging facilities. Uh, another thing is that uh, uh, I patrol the park quite a bit, and we have people going through all the time, making sure everything's clean. And that's a big part of what we do: we're protecting nature. And so that's why, really, you saw that it was very clean and very neat and very orderly. And uh, and we get a lot of wonderful comments from our guests saying how wonderfully run it is, how clean it is. It's a pleasure to be here. The trails are are very well uh, attended to. And I can tell you that very few people really uh, do get lost. I get calls, and they tell me where they are, and I know exactly where they are, and uh, they're able to make their way out. So... That's really uh, uh, why the park is so uh, is so uh, clean and well run. Because uh, and people like that. People like yeah. to know that uh, when they see something like our park, they want to keep it that way. And it's very yeah. encouraging to see. 
Yeah. And, uh, well, I wonder um, how many guests you get there because when we were there, there were like only three cars in the parking lot. Daytime, a lot of people, but at night, very few people. And I think that's probably a, a um, draw. You know, it's not a super, it didn't seem to be a popular place to go. Is that, well, I, um, I can tell you that before Corona, uh, most, uh, or let's say 50%, of our visitors came from overseas, from Europe, from the United States, from all over the world, actually. Mainly from mm-hmm. Europe, though. And the other half came from Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. because, but Israelis weren't really coming into the park uh, that much. Uh, and, uh, but what since were they doing? the corona, more Wait, and but what were, more... What were, what were the Israelis doing when they came? What were they, they doing? They were going down to a lot. And uh, not stopping at the park. No, but you now, said half of the visitors of were the corona and not being able to go overseas that mm-hmm. often. They've discovered Park Kidna, and uh-huh. more and more people are coming, and more than ever before. And uh, they're coming in and enjoying the park and seeing that they have the in the Igbo we say chutzlarets in the arava. Right, and, I get it. Uh, it's really a, a big change, and I'm really happy to to know that more and more Israelis are discovering the jewel in the Arava, and it yeah. really is a jewel in the Arava. By the way, uh, we also have uh, festivals uh, in the park. We have an area, okay. the area where you're talking about. We had a major festival, uh, a music festival, just this past weekend. The weekend mm-hmm. before that, we had a major bicycle race, uh, mm-hmm. starting from Kibbutz Yehel and ending in Park Timna. Uh, and Very so nice. uh, there are a lot of activities uh, at uh, Park Timna besides, I feel most important is the nature and, and, and enjoying nature. Okay, and, can you uh, give me uh, the, um, the, I guess, the, how we can find Park Timna, people listening? Is it just like parktimna.com? Uh, there is a website you can go into. All you have to do is really uh, uh, type in Timna or Timna Park uh, in Google or whatever, whatever you use, and uh, the website will come up. You'll be able to uh, find the the map to plan out your visit if you want to go hiking. Okay. There's also you can uh, order uh, uh, make reservations to stay at the lake area in the right. caravans that we have or in the rooms or tents. And uh, right. you can also reserve the sunset tours, the lantern tours, or even uh, uh, reserve, ask for a tour guide who can give you a, a personal tour of the park. Totally worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. I just loved it. I'm going to bring my kids down. We're planning it already. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that with us, Ron. And, um, my pleasure. If, uh, you know, if I get any questions, I'm going to just send them off to you now that I have your information, okay? Okay, sounds good to me. I want to thank you all, and I hope to see you uh, in the future here either at Yale or at Park Timna. I look forward all to All right, seeing. before you go, one, one word of advice. I'd like you to just give some advice to anyone considering Aliyah, since you did it so many years ago. What can you tell our listeners? You have one minute. Well... My advice from what I learned uh, here at Kibbutz is that you're making Aliyah to Israel and not to a certain place. 
we had I came with groups of I came with a group of people from the U.S. and many of them returned to the U.S. because they made Aliyah to a specific place and not to Israel. And my advice is to learn about Israel, study about Israel, study about the customs, look into what you'll be able to do, uh, what kind of uh, work you'll be able to to do, and uh, maybe even make a visit or two beforehand uh, to search out and to look for uh, what you uh, what's the best for you. That's my that's my. Uh, uh, advice, okay? Thank you so much. We're out of time. You all heard that. Make a plan and prepare. I got it. Thank you, Ron. See you all next week. Thanks for listening. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.